go ahead and take a seat. For kids, uh, y'all can go ahead and go back to your rooms. Love y'all. Have a great time in City Light Kids. Parents, we have volunteer servant leaders in the back that can take them, or if you'd like to take them yourself, that's fantastic. We have a Spanish Bible study. If that's your heart language, please join Pastor Luis and the squad over in room 120. And we'll go ahead and, and take our tithe now, and we'll bring that forward. I, I want you to know, I want you to make sure you make the connection. And go ahead as I do this to open to Luke 11 in your Bible. I want you to go ahead and make the connection that uh, as we give... And of ourselves, both in terms of time, resources, uh, money, all those things, particularly now money, as we give of ourselves, we are opening the door for other opportunities for the Lord to move, right? Because a new building costs money, and without money, you can't get the new building and be able to do what God put in your heart to do, all right? So I want to always connect. Here's what we're doing. We're, 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 we're getting resources so that we can be in a position for the Lord to then open the door because we can walk through it. And so I want you to always make those connections, uh, especially here and how much money we're devoting to missions, both local and international. This is so important for us as we continue to give, we continue to buy in. The Lord sees our buy-in, and he says, that's a group of people I'll open a door for. You guys see the connection? If we were half-hearted in our providing of resources, the Lord would not come through and then say, I'm going to make up the difference. The Lord says, I'm going to honor your sacrifice. I'm going to honor your life with an opportunity. So you sow the seed, the Lord brings the fruit. But you got to sow the seed first. So I just want to make sure we're always making that connection for us to say it's not just about your personal giving or whatever that might look like. It's about what the Lord wants to do in and through this body and how our giving of ourselves, both in energy, time, and resources, says yes and amen to what God wants to do and opens the door for God to continue to move and to bless. Okay, one of the, um, one of the I was listening to a podcast the other day, and they said this. I thought it was super helpful. He said, God gives seeds to sowers. God gives seeds to sowers, meaning he won't give seeds to us, you, if we're not sowing the seeds he's already given us. Right? I would not give seeds to a farmer who sits around all day and doesn't do anything with them, Right? He's using them. You don't give seeds to some city kid that has no idea what to do with them, right? God gives seeds to sowers, meaning that if we're sowing, I really believe this, and we just saw it play out, that as we bring things in and we're sowing and completely giving it right back out, the Lord says, okay, more seeds. Well, I've seen what you do with the seeds you have, and so you're releasing them, so I'm going to keep putting more seeds in your hand so you can keep releasing them. And on and on and on we go. And so the more we're a group of people who are releasing the seeds God puts in our hand, both collectively and individually, the more God's going to provide more seeds. That's how it works. So I want you to think about our giving, your personal giving, whatever it looks like that way, and connect the dots to say, without that, there is no opportunity. Okay? So this is super important for us. Uh, we have our Luke booklets. If you haven't had one yet over these last several months, uh, we're happy to give you one, one of these, as a gift to you. So raise your hand if you need one. Uh, we want to be a church who engages with the Bible. I want you to read it, to write in it, to mark it up. I want you to learn how to read the Bible for yourselves. I want you to do those kinds of things as we meet. Because as we say time and time again, man does not live on sermons alone. Meaning that your time with the Lord and your ability to read the Bible for yourself and to learn how to do that better and better is absolutely essential to your growth and your walk with Jesus. 
And then if you rely on me or any other pastor or preacher or podcast or whatever for your growth, sermons function the best when they're the cherry on top. You've already made the ice cream sundae with the Lord all week. Then somebody comes with a word from the Lord, puts the cherry on top, finishes it out, and you can eat it, and it's great. But if all you do is, is wait for sermons, you're just getting a cherry, okay? You, got, you want the whole thing. This is what I'm super passionate about, okay? You got to know the Bible for yourself. I, I really want that for you. So take it, read it, use it, and all of that. Uh, I want to say one quick thing, too, before we get into this about uh, the building and all that. So uh, we got the building approval on Thursday. Uh, we had a prayer meeting Wednesday night, which is super, super spirit-filled and sweet. I think the Lord really responded to that. We got the building on Thursday. I got keys in my hand on Thursday, and so we've been checking it out. Saturday, we had a designer come through and give us an idea of what she would do just cosmetically and basic uh, upkeep things. On uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, I have a constructor coming through to match prices with her ideas and whatnot, and we'll begin to make a plan for March because we want to launch new services in there on Easter which is six weeks away. Yeah, what a great day, right, to launch new services. That's great. Uh, and so we have exactly five more weeks in this school, which is crazy. Just another reminder, all our ministry to this school will not only continue but ramp up, okay? Us leaving this space on Sunday means we have a place to serve them Monday through Saturday as well. So students can come over, all of those things. So we are not leaving the school at all. We're actually more invested in the school now because we have a place where we can serve them more than one day a week. And we'll continue the same type of work we're already doing. We'll ramp that up. So just want to always remind you of that. Uh, so that's the process. We hope by later this week to have a plan, a schedule we can put out so then people can participate in ways they might have certain skill sets or time or with your lighthouse or whatever. So as this week goes on, hopefully we'll have more clarity. But Easter is the plan and the launch date for that. Uh, so don't show up to that church until Easter, okay? We won't be there. Come here for the next five weeks. Uh, but I think it's important for us to think through as well. Uh, this is an important little phrase I want you to think about and write down. Is that when you see breakthrough, expect resistance. When you see breakthrough, expect resistance. This is really good news for the kingdom of God, so it's really bad news for the devil. And we believe in spiritual forces at work. We believe in a real God, a real devil, real angels, and real demons. We believe spiritual warfare. This is what the Bible teaches, that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy so when you see breakthrough, there's a target on your back. You need to expect resistance. So what's important for all of us, my prayer for the church from the beginning, but it's so important now, is that we be unified and have one heart. So what the devil wants to do is give you a building with a bunch of divided people inside of it. That's what he'd love to do. Oh, here's a blessing, but it's not going to work because the people aren't united. And so we got to be careful. we got to be super careful about how that may play itself out, super careful to stay loving one another, super careful to not care about our preferences, just get that, super careful to say whatever the Lord wants to do, however he wants to do it, we are in together, we are one, and we cannot give the devil any room to play in this church, no room, you have to think and remember that Satan hates this and he's working inside of it, and so if God provides breakthrough, we need to expect resistance, this is why when Paul's teaching in Ephesians 6, that the people of God put on the armor of God to be ready for spiritual battle, he ends it with this, praying at all times in the spirit with prayer and supplication. So put on the spirit, the armor of God, and as you do all of those things, be constantly praying in the spirit, and this will be the way you summarize and form and cover yourself spiritually so that you're protected from the enemy. And so if we just live with our eyes and what we can see, we're going to miss the real battle at hand. 
And there's going to be emotions you may feel. There may be drama that breaks out in your family, whatever it may be. And always be on the alert to say, what might Satan be doing to bring distractions, to bring division, uh, and any of that. And so we want to be a people prepared for that. When you see breakthrough, expect resistance. And let's be ready and not be, the Paul says in the Bible, don't be ignorant of the devil's schemes. Don't be ignorant. Be aware. Be alert. Be prepared. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so let's be careful. Uh, but greater is the he that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen. And so if we follow the Lord and stay in step with him, we'll be all right. Okay, so we need to do that together. When you see breakthrough, expect resistance. So today is about prayer, and that's why this is so important, because prayer is the essential ingredient for us to move this thing forward as a church, for us to protect ourselves from spiritual battles, for us to have the weapon that we need. We must be a people of prayer. And so we're going to see from Luke 11, 1 through 13, how Jesus taught us to pray. And so, so far, we've covered through Luke. We've dealt with two words, purpose, why did Jesus come? And process, how did Jesus do it? How did he do his ministry? And I think this is so cool to see the Lord set this up because we'll, be, uh, we'll be stepping right into the gospel and power uh, for Easter. But to get into the building, for, to prepare us as a church, Jesus reminded us of what the purpose is. What's the good news? The purpose is to bring good news. That's the purpose of getting a new building, not to bring more comfort, more good news. Right? As I've said time and time again, we're not getting a building to make life easier and less work. We're getting a building to provide more work. So if you think getting a building is going to make it easier because we don't have to tear down and set up so much, I have a thousand other things for you to do to invest in in the community. We are looking to do more work, not less work. We're not looking for comfort. We're looking for work. This is what we're here to do. This is what we want to do. And so this is so important that the Lord has taught us, hey, what's the purpose? What are we here for? Then the Lord has taught us, hey, what's the process? What are we going to do? And we have to remember, no matter how many programs we implement, no matter how many good things we do, the ultimate way to change the world is to imitate the way of Jesus and to begin to reach out, to restore people that come to know Christ, and repeat that over and over again by sending them back out to make disciples. And we learn through on-the-job training. So as we get the building and do different things, we have to remember, okay, we're not learning. We're learning in the field. We're learning in the harvest. As you make a disciple, man, bring them with you. Go share the gospel in that neighborhood. This is so important, and the Lord has set it up for us to have the right purpose, the right process, and now we're going to learn the right priorities as we prepare. So the next four to five weeks about priorities. What did Jesus prioritize in his ministry? What was his purpose? What was his process? Now what were his priorities? So the first priority is prayer. The first thing we see here is prayer. So Luke 11, would you read it with me? It says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you has a friend who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey. I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut. And my children, the most important sentence, are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Are you crazy? I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Some interesting things for Jesus to teach us about prayer. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks it will be open. For what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? 
Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to good give, gifts to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? And so uh, in our second week of being a church, we went over our core values. And just to remind you again, our second core value is that we are dependent on prayer. First core value is that we're all about Jesus. He's our priority. He's our message. He's our love. Uh, our second thing is that we are dependent on prayer. Prayer is what moves the thing forward. I want to remind you, you cannot miss this. I'm going to say it a thousand times until I'm dead, is that prayer is the reason all this is happening. It's not because we're great, not because of great skills, great whatever. Fine. Prayer is the reason the blessing is here. We have dedicated ourselves to prayer as a body. We have dedicated ourselves, right? We did 21 days of prayer and fasting. We were really seeking the Lord. On the 21st day, I got a call about this place. 21st day. Right in the middle of our 12 hours of prayer and fasting. That's not an accident. All right? And then the Lord continues to open up doors. On Wednesday, we gather and we pray. And the Lord makes the, I got, an, I got word at 11 a.m. They weren't supposed to meet until 12 p.m. at lunch. I'm texting people that are like, they're not even supposed to have a meeting yet. I'm like, why is that your response? Just say that's awesome, you know? <laughs> why are you questioning me? I don't know why they met. I just know they gave me the information. <laughs> this happens by prayer. And this, once again, is super important for us to see, to say, sometimes I know God doesn't answer the way we like, both individually and as a church. Sometimes he doesn't answer in the timing we like, both individually and as a church. Sometimes he doesn't answer in the way we like, both individually and as a church. But we can pray. Prayer is still the way it gets it done. And prayer is the way God moves in your life. Prayer is the way God moves in the church. Because when he gives you a no, that's a yes. Because no is the best answer for you. When he gives you a later, that's a yes. Later was the best answer for you. When he comes through like now, we're six months old, everybody. And we have this new building. Like, you have to just be like, what in the world? When God does that, you're like, yes and amen. It gives me great faith to remember what God has done. Sometimes God's yes is fast. Sometimes his yes looks like a no. Sometimes his yes is later. But in Christ, all you get is yes. When you're in Jesus, he treats you like Jesus, which is what we're going to see. I want to preach too early. But uh, this is so important. So we're dependent on prayer. This has happened by prayer. We got here by prayer, and we will get to where we are going by prayer. Prayer is the path. The worst thing we could do is settle in and say, God has answered great prayers. So now let's, I don't know, work. And we should work. I just told you we're going to do a lot of work. But prayer is the first work. It's the greatest work we could do. Prayer is how we got here. Prayer is how we'll keep going. Prayer is the path. So it's super important for us to learn how to pray. So we have to understand, not just in theory, we can't just agree, we must obey. You can't just say, yes, prayer is good. Amen, pastor. I'm glad this worked by prayer. No, we have to say yes, and then amen. Like, I will obey. I will live that out. I will practice that. In the same way that I want to see myself grow in different areas, I put in the practice to be a better parent. A practice is we have to practice. We have to put in the work. We have to ask God for help. We must become a people of prayer by effort, by trying and letting the Lord empower our little efforts. We're not going to become a people by prayer by accident, and we're not going to become a people by prayer just because as a church we structure prayer things. We're going to become a people of prayer because each one of us decides that this is how things actually move forward. In your heart of hearts, you believe that nothing supernatural will happen apart from prayer. And so now we decide to get together and pray. We believe it's so important, we try to get better at it. We implement practices and disciplines. We do it together. This is why one of the main things we're going to do with the new building is provide a space of prayer, a house of prayer, where people can come in, preferably one day, 24-7. For now, we're probably going to pick morning, noon, and night slots for people to come in and pray. 
and there'll be a pastor or a leader there, and we can come in and pray. Sometimes maybe we'll have worship, but we'll have a place dedicated to seeking God's face as much as we possibly can. We're going to be a people of prayer, and we must all obey, not just agree that this is a good thing. Otherwise, nothing will keep moving forward. I just, with all my heart, I want to tell you this doesn't just happen by accident, and it won't happen just because we're good and try to do good things. The only thing that's going to move the ball forward continually is that we stay desperate and dependent on prayer. We say, God, that was awesome. Thank you. And I'm going to keep praying twice as much now because I saw you work. We have to keep praying. We have to keep praying. We have to keep praying. So I'm going to give you a phrase that summarizes this chapter as a way to help you implement something. Okay? Everything about this phrase is something that hopefully you can remember and implement. So here it is. Prayer is an act of love that aims at praise, asks for help, and believes in faith. Prayer, what is prayer? Based off this chapter and the Bible really altogether, prayer is an act of love that aims at praise, that asks for help, and that believes in faith. I want you to take this sentence. I'm going to break it down, and I want you to go live it out. Okay? This is, this is, I want you to live out every sermon I ever teach, but especially we got to do this, okay? We have to pray. We have to get better at praying. So prayer is an act of love. That's the first thing. Look at verse 2. You only need one word to know this. He says, Father. Say, Jesus, how should I pray? And Jesus looks at them and says, well, the first thing you say is Father. We just need one word. Prayer is an act of love. It's a relationship with your Father. You got to see what's interesting here. In the Old Testament, God was only called Father 15 times and never as an address. Never. In the New Testament, in the four Gospels alone, God is called Father 165 times. And always as an address. Always. So Jesus steps into this space, and he changes the game. Jesus comes to earth, and because of what he was doing and what he was going to do by dying and rising again and giving us access to God, he now says your new relationship to God is as Father, and you yourself can call him that. He's your Father. Prayer is an act of love because it's an act of relationship with God. Jesus prayed this in John 17, 23. I and them and you and me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know, get this, that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Just let that sit for a second. That God, in his mercy, not because we're great, has decided to love you as much as he loved me. And now Jesus says, the same relationship that I've had with God as my Father for all of time is the relationship that I now give to you. The same access that I've had to God as Father all this time is the relationship and the access that I give to you. He's your Father. You are his children by faith in Jesus. Now, I want to clarify real quick. We get this mistaken. Not everybody on the planet is a child of God. Everyone is a creation of God, made in God's image. But you only become a child of God by believing in Jesus. The only way to become, have God as your father is to trust in what Jesus has done for you to give you access. Right now, the Bible's word for you, if you're not following God, is an enemy, not a son or a daughter. An enemy. And I want you to feel the weight of that to think that's a really bad position to be in, to be an enemy of God. And the Bible teaches us that the enemies of God receive the wrath of God in a place called hell forever. And that is everyone's destiny apart from those who choose to follow Jesus. So if you want to be God's child and be in God's family, you need to repent from your sins and trust Jesus. There is no other way. And for those of you that are in God's family, God is your father. 
Prayer is an act of love. We prioritize prayer because we prioritize a relationship with God. And so often we miss it because we treat God like a genie in a bottle, and then the genie doesn't come through, and then we get mad, and that was never the goal. The goal of prayer is that I get in a relationship with God. He's my father. I get access to him. I can talk with him. He loves me. He cares about me. He cares about how I feel. He cares about what I want. He cares about my struggles. I can speak with him, and I love him. He's my father. Prayer, he's a good father, not your bad father or not whatever. He's the best father, and now he's saying, I'm giving you access to me. So prayer, we have to learn, is first an act of love to our father. This is so important for us so that we don't treat God like a genie in a bottle, so that we don't treat God like Santa Claus, so that we don't treat God like that and always ask for things without creating and devoting ourselves to a relationship with him. And when your, your aim now becomes praise, because your relationship is as father, so prayer is an act of love. The second thing now is you aim at praise. Luke eleven two. the first thing he teaches them to say after father is hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And in Matthew 6, you'll see it as your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I love that part about it too, thinking about your will be done in false church as it is in heaven. Your will be done in that place where we're at as it is in heaven. Your will be done as high school as it is in heaven. That's what our goal is. He says, hallowed be your name. So prayer aims at praise. It's an act of love that aims at praise. The first thing we bring to God isn't our need, but an expression of his worthiness. Prayer is an act of praise. Prayer aims at praise. The most important thing you could do with your prayer life is devoted to praising Jesus, expressing God's worth, and asking God to reveal his worth in all the earth. This is the goal of prayer is to praise the Lord, to think about his attributes, his goodness, his mercy, his faithfulness, to come to him and just say, you're worthy of my time right now. I could be watching Netflix, you know, but you're worthy of my praise and my lips and my time. You're worthy of my life. And so I come to you now in prayer as an act of praise. And I think this is helpful for those of you that feel stalled out in your prayer life, that don't know what to pray for or what to do. When you don't know what to pray, praise. When you don't know what to pray, praise. And now, how many of you drive a stick shift car? How many of how many real car drivers I have in here? Wow, like three. Okay, man. All right, 2020. All right, those are going to be dead long gone. So my first car ever was a stick shift. All right, I learned to drive on a stick shift, uh, which was an interesting way to learn. You learn fast. And so those of you probably won't even understand what I'm saying, and this example won't even make sense. But when you drive a stick shift, the gears don't automatically shift for you, right? You have to control the clutch and hit the gas, and you have to balance it at the right time. So as you let go of the clutch easily, you hit the gas at just the right time. And if you miss that, you'll, fall, you'll stall out. And especially if you're on a hill, it gets really difficult, and you can roll backwards real fast, and the car is behind you, which when I was 16 was a very possible thing to be doing. Uh, and so because of that and because of my fears and learning how to drive and not wanting to mess it up, there's a way you can cheat around the system, and it's called ride the clutch. You can ride the clutch. Now, what this means is instead of trying to hit the balance just right, you just hold it. You just hold the clutch, and then you, you hit the gas, and as you let go of the clutch, now the gas is already running. Now, you'll go, you'll shoot out like that, and it's not good for your car, but a way for you to ease into learning how to drive a stick shift is to ride the clutch. And I want you to think about praise that way. Say, I don't know what to do, and I can't strike this balance right. Just ride the clutch. Just praise. I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to say you're worthy. I love you. You're worthy. I love you. You're great. Thank you. You're awesome. You're merciful. Praise you. I'm just going to ride the clutch because I don't know what to do. 
And slowly I'm going to learn the balance. And I'm going to say, man, Lord, you're worthy. And I, I, I need this, Lord. Will you please help me out? And I, this is what I, and I pray for my family. And I care about these lost souls. And then you'll, be, you'll become really well-rounded. But so many of us try to enter into prayer life well-rounded. And then we don't do it well, so we back off. So what I want to tell you is when you don't know what to do, just pray. Just ride the clutch. Just make it easy. Make it easy on yourself. There's a lot of reasons to praise God. Man, how good is he? How worthy is he? He's so perfect and righteous and pure. He's never done anything wrong. He's only been faithful to you, only faithful, every day. You and I deserve hell, and he decided to pay the price for us so that we could get into heaven by trusting in Jesus. God loves you, and he cares for you. He's full of mercy and compassion. The Bible says his love is steadfast, which is straight. You know, steadfast is meant for me. It doesn't go up. It doesn't go down. It stays the same all the time. Right? So you have a really bad day. You don't read your Bible. You do something stupid. You yell at your coworkers in the middle of that bad day. He loves you the same. Wake up. Read your Bible. Be nice to everybody. Share the gospel. Do all the things Christians are supposed to do. He loves you the same. God's love is steadfast. And so as you begin to ponder these things, praise is going to come up. And so we prioritize praise in our prayer life because... We prioritize, we prioritize prayer because we prioritize praise. And so when you think you don't know what to do, just praise, ride the clutch. And then slowly you'll grow and mature into a well-rounded prayer life. But just praise, just praise. So we aim at praise. Our prayer life aims at praise. It's an act of love that aims at praise. The third thing is we ask for help. God does love to help you. God is your ever-present help in time of trouble. Luke eleven three four 3, 4 says, Give us each day our daily bread. This is what Jesus teaches his disciples to say. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is in with us. Lead us not into temptation. We pray simply because we need provision. We are needy physically and spiritually. God is the only being in existence that doesn't need anything. I don't care how successful you are. I don't care how healthy you are. I don't care how well your life is going. That can change in one second. You and I are needy. We're physically needy. We don't control all those things, right? There's something happening in the world right now that makes everybody realize they're physically weak and needy. Anything can change that. We're spiritually needy because we're sinners. We're broken, and we're separated from God because of our sin. And even as we get restored to God, we still live in this flesh, and we still mess up. We're spiritually needy. And some of us think we're so self-sufficient that we don't go to God for help. Or we only go to God for help when things are really terrible because that's the only time we think that we're needy. And now I want you to see, man, every day we're physically and spiritually needy. Give us each day our daily bread. Every meal you eat, you should give the Lord a ton of thanks and praise. Stop doing, oh, Lord, thank you. Okay, say, like, bum, bum, bum. Man, actually say, Lord, this meal is from you. Like, I don't deserve this. There's people all over the world that don't get to eat at all right now, and it's right in front of me. Lord, this is from you. You're giving me my daily bread. We prioritize prayer because it's the way to provision. God is where our help comes from. This is important as we move forward in this church life to say, man, our help doesn't come from our resources. Our help doesn't come because the preacher or the sermon or our help doesn't come because we do things. Yeah, our help comes from God. Our help comes from God, and God loves to meet broken, needy, unskilled, unequipped, sinful people and that say, Lord, I need you, and then he puts his power on their life. 
So the more we act like we got it together and act like we're self-sufficient, the less help we're going to get. The more we come to the Lord and like, I am terrible, legitimately terrible in every aspect of life. I am broken and I've sinned against you multiple times a day. I've sinned against my brothers and sisters. I've sinned and I need your help. And I have a consistent paycheck, but that's, I need your help. This is from you. And so, Lord, I just want to consistently come to you with that and say, Lord, uh, we prioritize prayer as the way to provision. So now we say, Lord, we want you to bless this building. We want you to use this building. And we say, we gather all our skill sets. Say, you're good at this, you're good at this, you're good at this. And you, you go and do it, which is great. That's exactly what we're going to do. But at the same time, we say, Lord, the only way that you provide anything for this community through this building is if we pray it into existence. Prayer, God is where our help comes from. He's where your help comes from. He is where your help comes from. Your help does not come from your retirement account. Your help does not even come from your wonderful spouse. Your help does not come from any of those things. Your help comes from the Lord. So we look our eyes to him. Right? And so often, even sometimes you're prone to say, my wife is amazing. I can get a ton of help from her, so I can go to her first instead of God. And so we say, no, we begin to prioritize. God is where our help comes from. We need help, and God is where it comes from. So we go to him, because we're like little kids, like my three-year-old. When they wake up, I swear, it's just, Dad, you know, Dad, can I get a uh, breakfast bar? Uh, you know, Dad, can I have orange juice? Dad, can you scratch my back? Dad, you know, Dad, my he's fighting with me. Dad, you know, this is literally, if I don't wake up before them, this is how I wake up. Dad, I need help, you know. And I'm like, that's what Jesus says childlike faith is. Stop acting like you got it together. Just be like, Dad. Come on, you know? So many times we're like, Lord, this is so hard. Would you just help please, Lord? <laughs> Lord. And we just don't even act like that. We say, Lord, like, how desperate are we? Would you help us? Like, we're stupid. We're going to use this building the wrong way if God doesn't help us. We're going to settle in and be comfortable if God doesn't help us. We're not going to have any wisdom to help the community if God doesn't help us. We say, Dad, come on. And this is true in your life. Like, how hard are you praying for the things? How hard are you coming to the Lord? How are you going? How desperate are you for your marriage to actually get better? This doesn't do it. Lord, would you please help my marriage to get better? Okay. That, that's not going to work. I'm sorry. It's not going to work. I say, Dad, Lord, come on. So we ask for help. We act like little children. This is the same with worship, where sometimes, I know not all of us are the most expressive, and that's fine. Everybody does their own thing. But there's a sense in which if the Lord really is what we're saying, I don't, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I should just run around the room. I don't know what to do. Something. I'm like, I don't know what people are going to think about. I'm not going to do that. But we're just, whatever it is, say, Lord, like, I just read, this is totally not in my sermon. I just read uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6 when uh, uh, the guy, Uzzah, he touches the ark and he dies. And David's trying, I don't want to do a whole back story. Uh, eventually they get the ark back and they're bringing it back to Jerusalem. It's this really big deal. Uh, and David comes in dancing. And he exposes himself because he's dancing so much. And his wife looks at him and says, you're crazy. And he looks at her and says, I will become more undignified than this. I will celebrate the Lord. So let's do that. Let's celebrate. Let's pray like children. Daddy! Right? Let's do that. And let's celebrate like mercy and grace and salvation is a good thing. Right? You know, and that's... You know what? If, if that's the way you do it and your heart's right, I'm not judging you. I'm just saying, let's just give it to him, okay? 
Just say, Lord, you know, it's just so easy to say, like, Alabama scores a touchdown. Ah! No, that's what I do. I scream. Kristen has videos of it when they won national championship. Ah! You know? And so anyways, I just, come on. We got to express ourselves. We're needy. God is amazing. Let's act like that's true, like with everything that we have. And stop trying to, like, create an image for everyone else around us. Stop trying to act like we're, like, got it together, okay? Let's just recognize we each are terrible, okay? We're just terrible. We're just, we're terrible. And the Lord loves us anyways, which is amazing. And so now it's like, man, God, I can't believe you love me. So let's ask for help. Ask for help. So this is his example. I love this. Jesus is the best storyteller in the history of the world. He said to them, which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight? Say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey. have nothing before him, and he will answer. Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. But I cannot. I mean, I physically can't. I will not. I will not do that. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So here are two words, presumptuous, persistent. When you ask for help, do so in a presumptuous, persistent way. The first word, presumptuous. Just put yourself in their shoes. Now, back in those days, they don't have four bedroom houses with two bathrooms, okay? They're all in one room, and the kids are laying on the mat, and the dad's got them like this, and they're all laying together, right? And there's the four-year-old, the seven-year-old. Let's just do my story. Seven-year-old, four-year-old, two-year-old, and one-year-old. And you know how long it took that guy to put them to bed? Probably two hours, you know? He's like, he's hitting, he's hitting me, you know? And it's like, one of them falls asleep, then the other, the other one, like, starts crying because he's upset, and he wakes the other one up, and now you have a, you know? And this is crazy. Like, it's, when we go to hotels, it's the worst thing ever because you have no space and you're just trying to put everybody to sleep. You just give up. And you're like, eventually y'all fall asleep. I don't even, I don't even know. Let's just, we'll wake up tomorrow at some point. And it's, it's really hard. And so imagine him in that situation. He's had a long day. He's been, you know, he's been a fisherman, right? He's been out. Maybe he caught two fish. And it was a bad day. And he worked really hard. He comes home at night. You know, and his wife, because of the way food works, just spent like three hours making their dinner, making the meal. And now they have it and they eat. Everybody's just done. And they finally get the kids to sleep, and that took two hours, and now, and he's like, oh, no, 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 no. And the guy's like, hey, shh, hey, hey, you know, John, hey, John. I'm like, what? And the guy's like, I got a friend, he needs some bread. I'm like, what? Is somebody dying? If not, go away. Your friend needs bread? Yeah, I'm embarrassed. I don't have any bread for him. Well, just be embarrassed. Like, go home. Go home. He'll be okay. He'll eat tomorrow. It'll be fine. No, 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 no. I look like a bad host. My reputation will be slandered after this. I need bread. Bread, 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 bread. And the guy's like, I swear I'm going to kill you. If you keep talking to me, if one of my kids wake up, I'm not. I just, we're not friends anymore. I'm going to punch you in the face instead of giving you bread. I, you need to go away, right? Read between the lines. This is what's happening. Bread, bread, bread. No, no, no. Bread, bread, bread. And eventually, what does he say? The guy wears down on him. And he's like, you're not going to go away. So he's like, and he's, oh, you're switching right now, you know. And now he gets up. And he's like stepping on the ground, right? And he goes to him, grabs the bread, and the four squeaks. You know? And he goes to the door. He opens the door, and he throws it down. <laughs> Take this bread, and don't talk to me again, ever, okay? Don't ever come back again. This is how this story plays out in real life, okay? This is a true story. And then Jesus says, I want you to be like that guy. The annoying one? Yes. What does he say? Because of his impudence. And the example is, how much better of a provider am I? So how much more annoying should you be? How much more willing is Jesus to provide? 
How much more willing is God to, to he gave his own life for you. He's not going to hold anything else back. So how much more willing is he? And we're just like, Lord, I need this real quick. And then it's like, okay, Twitter, you know, and it's, what do we really want? And the guy says, be presumptuous. Be presumptuous in your private prayers with God. Be presumptuous. Go after him. Be annoying. The cool thing is you can't annoy God. But he has said here, you need to be presumptuous. Don't act like you have it all together. God knows your heart anyways. I love uh, in the NIV, it translates impudence with shameless audacity. Come on, that's a really great translation. Shameless audacity. Now, here's the kicker. For you to have shameless audacity, you must feel extreme desperation. You will not put yourself in that position until you're too desperate. So if you don't feel desperate for God to save souls, if you don't really care, you're not going to ask. At least not like this. If you don't really care about how your marriage is going, if you don't really care about these situations, if you're not desperate, if you think we got it, if you think we're good, if you think your life is great, if you think you got it together and there's no desperation, there will be no presumption. And without presumption, there's no answer. There's no blessing. There's no yes on that. He's saying, you need to come after me. Keep asking, keep asking, keep asking. And that requires desperation because we're never going to put ourselves in that position until we feel desperate enough to do it. So then the question for us is that how desperate are we to actually see this community change? How desperate are we to see real soul saves? How desperate are we to even make it? We should think, this is, I have all sorts of thoughts going in my head right now. This sermon's going to be an hour. But the, <laughs> there's a story in uh, 2 Timothy 4 where Paul says basically, he's like, all, everybody has left me and so has Demas because he fell in love with the world. Now what's interesting is in multiple other books, Philemon and Colossians, you'll find Demas as a, as a helpful person for Paul. He was a good dude. Demas was with Paul, which means he had to endure a ton of stuff. He was not joking around. It was not like casual Christianity, like I can just come to church and chill. It was like, no, if I go with Paul, I'm going to get rocks thrown at me. So that's how legit Demas was. And then saying to me before, all he says is Demas fell in love with the world. He walked away. And I'm just like, right, don't sometimes I just think, man, I know enough. Like, I'm, I just, I'll wake up, I'll be fine. I'll walk with the Lord today, no problem. I got a lot. Of, I don't need time with the Lord this morning. I got a long history of that. And how sometimes like I even feel more desperate, like I could ruin my whole ministry and life and marriage in one moment if I don't feel desperate with the Lord. We feel like I can do this. I can I can live this Christian life today, and we just go into it. And then it's like we have to have that sense of desperation. Like you really could throw it all away. You really could. You're that sinful. Just like me. Somebody's going to be the next Demas. Let's not be us. Be desperate. Be desperate for the Lord to continue to work in your life. Now, the promise, not to scare you, the promise from Philippians 1, uh, 6 is that God will finish what he started. So it's not up to your level of desperation to do it. But what God wants is to see that lived out in your life, and then he completes it. He works it. God gives you the desire to be desperate, and now he works on it, and he makes you like him. But there's that seed that we sow that God responds to. Like a seed of desperation, a seed of giving, a seed of steps to start a church. And it's CCC, and God's responding. We must be desperate, desperate, desperate. And in D.C., where everybody's got great jobs, and they can't even tell you about half of what they do, and the standard of living is like a million dollars, and whatever, it costs you a ton of money just to have a normal home. Uh, then my, my parents come up from Alabama, and they're like, oh, they're like finding out about house prices, and they're like, what? Do all these people make that much money? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know how this works, but somehow, you know, everybody, I don't know. 
but there's an aura of like I have to uphold an image because everyone's super successful. I have to look a certain way and be a certain person to be accepted in this sphere. And the Lord's like, I want you to act like a child. I want you to pray to me like that and worship me like that. I want you to be presumptuous with me. I want you to be desperate. I want you to recognize the fact that you do not have answers. That you don't have it as good as you think you do. And that if you're completely broken in this room, that's great too. You need to like, yeah, we already realized that. Great. I can work with that. We have to be desperate. We have to be desperate. Okay, a presumptuous persistence. The next word is persistence. Many of Jesus' examples about prayer involve persistence. So he had presumption. He had persistence. This is so important for us to not give up, to not give up, to not give up, to continue to pray, to pray, to pray, to pray, to pray. I have this little uh, fire starter thing in my house. It's a gas fireplace, and you start it by kind of turning the thing and hitting the button. And when you haven't used it for a while, you have to hit the button like 20 times. And before I learned that, I would like, like three times. I was like, no, it doesn't work. It's like broken. And eventually I called the landlord. He's like, keep trying, keep trying. I'm like, it's like eight times. I'm like, come on. And he's like, just keep trying it. And then, you know? And eventually, like, there's this little spark. Little tiny spark. Yeah, look for it. Like this big. And he's like, that's okay for a minute. You turn it, it goes. And how many times did we come to God? We're like, one, two, three. It didn't work. I quit. One, two, three. I asked. How many times did I have to ask? You might have to ask for 10 years. I don't know. You might have to ask for your entire life. You might ask for something your whole life and not see it done. But it happens after you die. God says the key to a successful prayer life is persistence. Five years, 20 years. It may take six months. Praise the Lord. It may take 60 years. Never, never stop hitting the button. How many things have you given up on already because you've prayed enough? You've asked enough. And if God were good, he would just find a way. Boom, boom, boom. Because my encouragement to you is persistence is a key factor in a successful prayer life. This is what Jesus said. God is sovereign. He does things the way he wants. But he has taught us to be persistent. So I don't know where you stop pushing the button. But my encouragement to you is go back to it. Keep being persistent. Bother Jesus. Persistence is a sign of desperate dependence, like we talked about. We prioritize prayer because we have no other answers. We have no other answers. So prayer is an act of love that aims to praise, asks for help, and believes in faith. This final part, believe in faith. He says, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, right, or a Chick-fil-A sandwich, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, all right, or these little chocolate eggs they have for Easter that my kids keep asking for, will instead give him a, a, a piece of broccoli, you know? No. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your broccoli is good, okay? I'm going to go back. Uh, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much, look at it. I love how he says, if you guys who are evil, we're like, what? Whoa. Jesus, calm down. You who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? My favorite thing about this is there are no caveats. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be given to you. Now, we know throughout the Bible there are certain ways. If you abide in Jesus, he clears out more power. Sometimes Jesus clears out. He's like, I ask for him in front of the room tomorrow. Pray for him. But he is saying, I want you to pray with me. And so many times, especially in our Christian circles, I find people like to caveat their prayers because they're afraid it doesn't happen. And they're like, okay. And it's like, Lord, I know. Prayer, you know, as opposed to just like Jesus, do it and just keep asking 
And in your head, you know that Jesus do whatever you want. This is what on Wednesday night when we were praying, and we were praying for the meeting at 12 to get the building approved. My, 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 my point for everybody to pray was don't caveat. We all understand the Lord's will will happen. Great. You ask. We have not because we ask not. Don't see. Don't forget. So just ask. Ask. You ask, you seek, and you find. This is so important because our confidence is in God's care for us. Our level of prayerfulness will be lifted by the love of God. If I believe God cares and God loves and God is able, then I will respond to him that way. I will go to him that way. My kids are mistaken, but there's nothing they think I can't do. They think I literally can do anything and can provide anything and can do anything. They have no understanding that I have limits and I can't do it because they're children and they don't see things that way. And God says, I want you to come to him like that because when we ask, we believe there's someone there, that God is real, and we're asking a person in God to respond to him. When we knock, we believe there's someone on the other side of the door to open it. That's why we're knocking. And so many of us feel like we're knocking on an empty house. And Jesus says, no, 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 I'm there. When we knock, when we seek, we believe there's someone worth finding. And this empowers our prayer life to believe, to believe God can do more than ever, what we ever thought. To believe God can do more than we can do through our own strength. To believe God will answer prayers that he loves us. To believe, to believe that God can do miracles. To believe that God can do the supernatural. To believe that God can do great things in and through your life, in and through this church. Let me remind you of something, that God wants your life to count more than you do. God wants this church to make a difference more than we do. God is more committed to you than you are to yourself. God is more committed to this church than we are. God cares more than you and I. And God wants us to believe. We prioritize prayer because we prioritize making a supernatural difference. We say, Lord, we cannot save souls. We cannot do the things that we need to do. Therefore, we pray into existence and we believe. We believe that God can really change marriages, that he can really take people in broken situations. We believe that God can save souls. We believe that God can change a city and a community. Do you believe that? We believe like 10 years from now, this city could be different. Do we really believe that? Do we believe that? Like systems could be different. Things could change. Enough lives could change that it tips over and becomes the culture. Do we really believe that? That God can work in such a way to bring revival so so many people come to know Jesus, we don't even know what to do with them anymore. Do we really believe that? Are our prayers small? Or we believe in God for big things? Big things. And are we praying with faith? Pray believing. Stop caveating. Ask God for big, incredible, amazing things and expect to see them come to pass in the way he deems necessary. So these two words I want us to live with are anticipation and expectation. God can do it. God will do it. We come to church, we anticipate. This will not be the same as Sunday. We're going to meet with God. Lives are going to change. We come into this building, we anticipate. We expect. Excited, We live on the tip of our toes, believing that God is for us, that God is with us, and that God wants to do more through this church in our life than we do. We have to be a people who believe in faith. What kind of prayers are you praying? We can have faith in the unknown. This is how we close, because God has already made known his faithfulness. This is super helpful. We can have faith in the unknown because God has already made known his faithfulness. We do not know what lies ahead, but we do know what Jesus has already done. 
do not run with those who are weak. He who did not spare his own son, but graciously and willingly gave him up for us all, how will he, along with him, not graciously give us all things? Meaning, if God has shown this faithfulness in the ultimate act of love, to send his son Jesus to die for our sins and rise again from the dead, that's done. That's history. That's fact. Now we say, I can have faith in the unknown because I know his faithfulness. And so I pray with faith, knowing that my God rises the dead. And I pray according to that way. Prayer is an act of love that aims at praise, that asks for help, and that believes in faith. Let's be a people of prayer. And let's continue to God be grateful. Take this sentence, please, and go practice it. Well, just agree that's okay. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We're so thankful for all you've done for us. We're thankful that we call you Father. That even as we address you now, Lord, we come to you as your children. You are our Father. You have met with us in this place, Lord. You love us as your children. The way you see Jesus is the way you see us who have put our faith in you. God, teach us to pray. Lord, may we not just have sermons about prayer. May we be a people of prayer. Teach us to be desperate. Make us humble. Teach us to praise you. I pray everybody in this place will rise with us all week long. We just praise you. You're so worthy, Lord. We love you and we honor you, God. Would you create a supernatural change that we want to see in this community, that we want to see in our church and in our lives. God, we believe, we believe that you can do more than we could ever ask or imagine. We love you. And we're so amped and excited to see all you're going to continue to do. It's in Jesus' name. Everybody agrees and says, Amen. Amen. All right, y'all stand up. Yeah, give the Lord some praise. That's a good, good thing to do. Uh, we have communion in the back. As always, take some time to remember God's faithfulness to you. Uh, if you don't know Jesus, we ask you not to take communion, but you come up and play with us. We